Chapter Sixteen of the Lion's Skin by Raphael Sabatini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Green executes his warrant. Five days later, Mr. Carroll, whose recovery had so far progressed that he might now be said to be his own man again, came briskly up from Charing Cross one evening at dusk to the house at the corner of Maiden Lane where Sir Richard Everard was lodged he observed three or four fellows lounging about the corner of chandos street and bedford street but it did not occur to him that from that point they could command sir richard's door nor that such could be their object until as he swung sharply round the corner he hurtled violently into a man who was moving in the opposite direction without looking whither he was going the man stepped quickly aside with a murmured word of apology to give mr carroll the wall that he might pass on but mr carroll paused ah mr green said he very pleasantly how dee have you been searching folk of late mr green endeavoured to dissemble his startled expression in a grin that revealed his white teeth ye can't forgive me that blunder mr carroll said he mr carroll smiled fondly upon him from your manner i take it that on your side you practice a more christian virtue it is plain that you forgive me the sequel mr green shrugged and spread his hands you were in the right sir you were in the right he explained those are the risks a man of my calling must run i must suffer for my blunders mr carroll continued to smile but that the light was failing the spy might have observed a certain hardening in the lines of his mouth here is a very humble mood said he it is like the crouch before the spring in whom do you design to plant your claws yours and your friends yonder and he pointed with his cane across the street towards the loungers he had observed my friends quoth mr green in a voice of disgust nay your honour no friends of mine ecod indeed no no i am at fault then they look as they might be bum bailiffs tis the kind ye heard with is't not give you good even mr green and he went on cool and unconcerned and turned in through the narrow doorway by the glover's shop to mount the stairs to sir richard's lodging mr green stood still to watch him go then he swore through his teeth and beckoned one of those whose acquaintance he had disclaimed tis like him ecod to have gone in in spite of seeing me and you he's cool damned cool but he'll be cooler yet caught so then briskly questioning his satellite is sir richard within jerry ay answered jerry a rough heavily built tatterdemalion i's been there these two hours tis our chance to nab them both then our last chance maybe the game is up that fine gentleman has smoked it he was angry beyond measure their plans were far from ripe and yet to delay longer now that their vigilance was detected was perhaps to allow sir richard to slip through their fingers as well as the other have ye your barkers he asked harshly 
Terry tapped a heavily bulging pocket and winked. Mr. Green thrust his three-cornered hat a cock over one eye, and with his hands behind the tails of his coat stood pondering. "'I poxant,' he grumbled. "'It must be done to-night. I daresn't delay longer. We'll give the gentleman time to settle comfortably. Then up we go to make things merry for him.' and he beckoned the others across. Meanwhile, Mr. Carroll had gone up with considerable misgivings. The last letter he had received from Sir Richard, that day at Stretton House, had been to apprise him that his adoptive father was on the point of leaving town, but that he would be returned within the week. The business that had taken him had been again concerned with Atterbury, the obstinate, upon another vain endeavour to dissuade the bishop from a scheme his king did not approve had sir richard journeyed to rochester he had had his pains for nothing atterbury had kept him there entertaining him and seeking in his turn to engulf the agent in the business that was toward business which was ultimately to suck down atterbury and his associates sir richard however was very firm and when at last he left rochester to return to town and his adoptive son a coolness marked the parting of those two adherents of the stuart dynasty returned to london whence his absence had been marked with alarm by mr green sir richard had sent a message to mr carroll and the latter made haste to answer it in person his adoptive father received him with open arms, and such a joy in his face, such a light in his old eyes, as should have gladdened his visitor, yet only served sadden him the more. He sighed as Sir Richard thrust him back that he might look at him. "'You're pale, boy,' he said, "'and you look thinner.' And with that he fell to reviling the deed that was the cause of this rotherby and the whole brood of ostermore let be said mr carroll as he dropped into a chair rotherby is undergoing his punishment the town looks on him as a cutthroat who has narrowly escaped the gallows i marvel that he tarries here and i were he i think i'd travel for a year or two what weakness made you spare him when you had him at the point of your sword that which made me regret that i had him there the reflection that he is my brother sir richard looked at him in some surprise i thought you of sterner stuff justin he said presently and sighed passing a long white hand across his bony brow I thought I had reared you to a finer strength. But there, what of Ostermore himself? What of him? Have you not talked again with him of the matter of going over to King James? To what end, since the chance is lost, his betrayal now would involve the betrayal of Atterbury and the others, for he has been in touch with them. Has he, though? the bishop said not of this i have it from my lord himself and i know the man were he taken they'd wring out of him whatever happened to be in him he has no discretion indeed he's but a clod too stupid even to be aware of his own stupidity 
"'Then what is to be done?' inquired Sir Richard, frowning. "'We'd best get home to France again.' "'And leave matters thus?' He considered a moment and shook his head, smiling bitterly. "'Could that content you, Justin? Could you go as you have come, taking no more than you brought, leaving that man as you found him? Could you?' Mr. Carroll looked at the baronet and wondered for a moment whether he should persevere in the rule of his life and deal quite frankly with him, telling him precisely what he felt. Then he realized that he would not be understood. He could not combat the fanaticism that was Sir Richard's in this matter. If he told him the truth, how he loathed the task, how he rejoiced that circumstances had now put it beyond his reach, all he would achieve would be to wound Sir Richard in his tenderest place, and to no purpose. It is not a matter of what I would, he answered slowly, wearily almost. It is a matter of what I must. Here in England is no more to be done. Moreover, there's danger for you in lingering, or I'm much mistaken else danger of what asked sir richard with indifference you are being spied upon Pugh, i am accustomed to it i have been spied upon all my life like enough but this time the spies are messengers from the secretary of state i caught a glimpse of them lurking about your doorway three or four at least and as i entered i all but fell over a mr green a most pertinacious gentleman with whom i have already some acquaintance he is the very man who searched me at maidstone he has kept his eye upon me ever since which has not troubled me but that he should keep an eye on you means that your identity is suspected and if that be so well the sooner we are out of england the better for your health sir richard shook his head calmly the fine-featured lean old face showed no signs of uneasiness a fig for all that said he i go not thus empty-handed as i came after all these years of waiting a knock fell upon the door and sir richard's man entered his face was white his eyes startled sir richard he announced his voice lowered portentously there are some men here who insist upon seeing you mr carroll wheeled in his chair surely they did not ask for him by name he inquired in the same low key employed by the valet the man nodded in silence mr carroll swore through his teeth sir richard rose i am occupied at present he said in a calm voice i can receive nobody desire to know their business if it imports bid them come again to-morrow it is over urgent for that sir richard everard came the soft voice of mr green who thrust himself suddenly forward past the servant other figures were seen moving behind him in the ante-room sir cried sir richard angrily this is a most insolent intrusion 
Bentley, show this fellow the door. Bentley set a hand on Mr. Green's shoulder. Mr. Green nimbly twisted out of it and produced a paper. I have here a warrant for your apprehension, Sir Richard, from my Lord Carteret, the Secretary of State. Mr. Carroll advanced menacingly upon the tipstaff. Mr. Green stepped back and fell into a defensive attitude, balancing a short but formidable-looking life-preserver. "'Keep your distance, sir, or twill be the worse for you,' he threatened. "'Hi!' he called. "'Jerry! Beatty!' Jerry, Beatty, and two other ruffians crowded to the doorway, but advanced little beyond the threshold. Mr. Carroll turned to Sir Richard, but Mr. Green was the first to speak. "'Sir Richard!' said he you'll see that we are but instruments of the law it grieves me profoundly to have you for our object but you'll see that tis no affair of ours who have but to do the duty that we're ordered you'll not give these poor fellows trouble i trust you'll surrender quietly sir richard's answer was to pull open a drawer in the writing-table by which he was standing and whip out a pistol what exactly he may have intended he was never allowed to announce an explosion shook the room coming from the doorway upon which mr carroll had turned his shoulder there was a spurt of flame and sir richard collapsed forward on to the table and slithered thence to the ground jerry taking fright at the sight of the pistol sir richard had produced had forestalled what he supposed to be the baronet's intentions by firing instantly upon him with this disastrous result confusion ensued mr carroll with no more thought for the tipstaves than he had for the smoke in his eyes or the stench of powder in his nostrils sped to sir richard in a passion of grief and anxiety he raised his adoptive father aided by bentley what time mr green was abusing jerry and jerry was urging in exculpation how he had acted purely in mr green's interest fearing that sir richard might have been on the point of shooting him the spy went forward to mr carroll i am most profoundly sorry he began take your sorrow to hell snarled mr carroll his face livid his eyes blazing uncannily i believe you've murdered him ecod the fool shall smart for it if sir richard dies grumbled mr green what's that to me you may hang the muckworm and what shall that profit any one will it restore me sir richard's life send one of your ruffians for a doctor man and bid him hasten mr green obeyed with alacrity apart from his regrets at this happening for its own sake it would suit his interests not at all that sir richard should perish thus meanwhile with the help of the valet who was blubbering like a child for he had been with sir richard for over ten years and was attached to him as a dog to its master they opened the wounded man's sodden waistcoat and shirt and reached the hurt which was on the right side of the breast between them they lifted him up gently mr green would have lent a hand but a snarl from mr carroll drove him back in sheer terror and alone those two bore the baronet into the next room and laid him on his bed 
here they did the little that they could propping him up and stemming the bleeding what time they waited through what seemed a century for the doctor's coming mr carroll mad stark mad for the time with grief and rage the physician arrived at last a small bird-like man under a great gray periwig with pointed features and little eyes that beamed brightly behind horn-rimmed spectacles in the ante-room he was met by mr green who in a few words told him what had happened then the doctor entered the bedchamber alone and deposing hat and cane went forward to make his examination mr carroll and bentley stood aside to give place to him he stooped felt the pulse examined the lips of the wound estimating the locality and direction of the bullet and his mouth made a clucking sound as of deprecation very deplorable very deplorable he muttered so hale a man too despite his years very deplorable he looked up a jacobite you say he is sir will he live inquired mr carroll shortly by way of recalling the man of medicine to the fact that politics was not the business on which he had been summoned the doctor pursed his lips and looked at mr carroll over the top of his spectacles he will live thank god breathed mr carroll perhaps an hour the doctor concluded and never knew how near was mr carroll to striking him he turned again to his patient producing a probe very deplorable mr carroll heard him muttering parrot-like a pause ensued and a silence broken only by occasional cluckings from the little doctor and mr carroll stood by a prey to an anguish more poignant than he had ever known at last there was a groan from the wounded man mr carroll started forward sir richard's eyes were open and he was looking about him at the doctor the valet and lastly at his adopted son he smiled faintly at the latter then the doctor touched mr carroll's sleeve and drew him aside i cannot reach the bullet he said but tis no matter for that he shook his head solemnly the lung has been pierced a little time now and i can do nothing more mr carroll nodded in silence his face drawn with pain with a gesture he dismissed the doctor who went out with bentley when the valet returned mr carroll was on his knees beside the bed sir richard's hand in his and sir richard was speaking in a feeble hoarse voice gasping and coughing at intervals don't don't grieve justin he was saying i am an old man my time must have been very near i, I am glad that it is thus it is much better than if they had taken me they'd have shown me no mercy tis swifter thus and and easier silently justin wrung the hand he held you'll miss me a little justin the old man resumed presently we have been good friends lad good friends for thirty years father justin cried a sob in his voice sir richard smiled i would i were your father in more than name justin 
hast been a good son to me no son could have been more than you bentley drew nigh with a long glass containing a cordial the doctor had advised sir richard drank avidly and sighed content when he returned the glass how long yet justin he inquired not long father was the gloomy answer it is well i am content i am happy justin believe me i am happy what has my life been dissipated in the pursuit of a phantom he spoke musingly critically calm as one who already upon the brink of dissolution takes already but an impersonal interest in the course he has run in life judging so his judgment was clearer than it had yet been it grew sane and was freed at last from the hackles of fanaticism and there was something that he saw in its true proportions he sighed heavily this is a judgment upon me he said presently he turned his great eyes full upon justin and their dance was infinitely wistful do you remember justin that night at your lodging that first night on which we talked here in london of the thing you were come to do the thing to which i urged you do you recall how you upbraided me for having set you a task that was unworthy and revolting i remember answered justin with an inward shudder fearful of what might follow oh you were right justin right and i was entirely wrong wickedly wrong i should have left vengeance to god he is wreaking it ostermore's whole life has been a punishment his end will be a punishment i understand it now we do no wrong in life justin for which in this same life payment is not exacted ostermore has been paying i should have been content with that after all he is your father in the flesh and it was not for you to raise your hand against him tis what you have felt and i am glad you should have felt it for for it proves your worthiness can you forgive me nay nay father speak not of forgiveness i have sore need of it ah but not from me not from me what is there i should forgive there is a debt between us i had hoped to repay some day when you were grown truly old i had looked to tend you in your old age to be the comfort of it and the support that you were to my infancy it had been sweet justin sighed sir richard smiling upon his adopted son and putting forth an unsteady hand to stroke the white drawn face it had been sweet it is sweet to hear that you so proposed a shudder convulsed him he sank back coughing and there was froth and blood on his lips 
reverently justin wiped them and signed for the cordial to bentley who stood numbed in the background it is the end said sir richard feebly god has been good to me beyond my deserts and this is a crowning mercy consider justin it might have been the gibbet and a crowd instead of this snug bed and you and bentley here just two good friends bentley losing all self-control at this mention of himself sank weeping to his knees sir richard put out a hand and touched his head you will serve mr carroll bentley you'll find him a good master if you are as good a servant to him as you have been to me then suddenly he made the quick movement of one who bethinks himself of something he waved bentley away there is a case in the drawer yonder he said when the servant was beyond earshot it contains papers that concern you certificates of your birth and of your mother's death i brought them with me as proofs of your identity against the time when the hour of vengeance upon ostermore should strike they will serve no purpose now burn them they are best destroyed mr carroll nodded understanding and on sir richard's part there followed another fight for breath another attack of coughing during which bentley instinctively approached again when the paroxysm was past sir richard turned once more to justin who was holding him in his arms upright to ease his breathing be good to bentley he murmured his voice very faint and exhausted now you are my heir justin all that i have i set all in order ere i left paris it it is growing dark you have not snuffed the candles bentley they are burning very low suddenly he started forward held as he was in justin's arms he half raised his arms holding out his hands towards the foot of the bed his eyes dilated the expression of his livid face grew first surprised then joyous beatific antoinette he cried in a loud voice antoine and thus abruptly but in great happiness he passed End of chapter 16